morning and welcome to Movement Church. My name is Mark and I have the privilege of, of being the lead pastor here and I'm excited uh, for us to start this series as, as Don put it. He said, what? It's just kind of that, uh, that, that kind of morning, right? We're, we're talking about some of the shocking statements of Jesus and I'm sure that uh, when you hear shocking statements, some of you are you're having flashbacks or memories. I'm, I'm assuming that someone has said something to you in the course of your life that just made you think, Really? Really? You just, you just said that to me? Maybe, maybe it was someone that, that thought it was their job to, to tell you that you've put on weight, you know, and you, maybe you've had that said, and you're just like, thanks, I needed to hear that today. I'm glad you pointed out that my outfit makes me look that way, or that I shouldn't wear horizontal stripes, so thanks a lot for telling me that. Or maybe, um, you know, maybe it's just someone that's like, hey, you really messed up that presentation at work today. I thought we were going to get that accountant, but no, not the way you're talking. You know, sometimes people just take it upon themselves to like point out our, our flaws or, or some things. Maybe, maybe sometimes uh, shocking statements aren't always put downs. You know, sometimes they can, they can be something that just wakes you up. I, I have a mentor uh, that, I, that I met with through college, and, and I remember one time he, he looked me in the eye and, and he said this statement, and it was, you know, something he's speaking into my life, and it was just one of those moments that I'm like, yes, yes, okay, yep, all right. He, he said to me, he looked me right in the eye, and he said, you can tell a lot of, about a person's maturity by the way they respond to authority. I think I've shared that with you guys before, but he said that quote to me, you can tell a lot about a person's maturity by the way they respond to authority, and it felt like he had just slapped me in the face, you know. He, it wasn't him. I think God was talking to me, but it was kind of like, you're not mature, Mark, you know, or something. And I'm like, oh, okay. So sometimes uh, people, people just say these statements and, and they get our attention. They, they slap us in the face. They kind of make us stop and, and stand still and think. Sometimes it's, it's something we don't want to hear. Sometimes it's something we do want to hear. Sometimes it's, it's clarity. Maybe it's a conversation you were having where you were, you were talking with someone older that you respect and, and you're asking them about love and all of a sudden you realize the person that you're asking questions about, you're like, yep, yep, I'm in love. Or maybe you had that moment where you're having a conversation and you're like, Yes, yes, it is time for me to get engaged. We've all had some, some conversation or, or talk to people where we, we know statements that, that just stop us in our tracks and, and get our attention, or, or most of us have that experience. But I'm, I'm thinking that there's some people in the room that, that don't remember the, the awkwardness of one of those conversations or exactly what a shocking statement feels like. And so I brought a video clip with me today that I think... Um, is one of the most shocking, awkward statements that's happened uh, in the last couple years. And so I want to roll this. This is, uh, this is something from my good friend Kanye West. Unfortunately, he's got, um, he's got like a plethora of these clips. I was like, we should show a clip of Kanye. And then I was like, we could do this one. We could do this one. We, so I picked this. Maybe we'll do one every week and just change the name of this series to Kanye Said What. But uh, go, ahead and, go ahead and check out this clip. If you're having trouble figuring out what does what does a shocking statement feel like? This is this is the weight of what we're talking about. I'm not equating Kanye to Jesus, all right? Don't overthink this, all right? Just a just a modern example of a shocking statement. So let's check this out together. <laughs> all right, all right. So so there you have it. I don't I don't mean to make light. Obviously, there's a terrible tragedy that happened and. Uh, there, there was a fundraiser, they were trying to, trying to earn money, and you could tell Mike Myers, the voice of Shrek, like a sweet man that America loves, is, is trying to stick to the script and just read the teleprompter and do what he says, and Kanye was never on script, you couldn't tell, he just had that look in his eye where he's like, I'm about to say whatever I want to say, and so, um, I, don't, his, I, I trust his heart, I think he had some, some good intentions, but he, he went off the script there, and you could see kind of the, the, the look, right, where Mike Myers was like, wow, this is, this, is gonna, this is gonna be remembered for a while, and so he just, he kept going and going, and kept saying stuff, and so um, I just wanted you to, to feel the, the shock of that statement, all right, so that, that would kind of be uh, what, what these statements were gonna be looking at, that would kind of be the shock that they had for, for their audience in, in their day, and so um, 
next week, we'll, someone asked me, they're like, are you going to play this Kanye one, this one? And I'm like, no, but maybe we will have to get to him because that was kind of fun. But uh, we want to we wanna jump into this, this series and, and take a look at some of the statements that, uh, that Jesus said. And so the first one that we want to look at this week is, is in Luke chapter 9, if you want to turn there in your Bible. And so uh, maybe you've got your, your phone or your iPad. If you, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one under your seat or the seat next to you. And uh, we want to have you uh, take a look at that. Luke chapter 9 is on page uh, 793. 793, and uh, we want to, uh, want to turn there together. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. It's titled, The, the Cost of Following Jesus. And so we just want to read this together and uh, look at, at, at some of the, the shock that this would have had for its original audience, and even some of the shock that it has for our lives if we really take it to heart. Page 793, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. I'll, I'll read it, you can follow along. And uh, it says this. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you go. All right, so the, the modern interpretation of this, you guys have been to a concert recently, and, and there's always that time where there's, there's some, some quiet, and the, the, the artist is up there talking to the crowd, and someone says, like, I love you, and yells that out, all right? Jesus, Jesus was a, a popular figure in his day, right? As he traveled, his ministry was building, he was, doing, he was doing miracles, he had followers, he had disciples, he had all kinds of different things, and so there was, there was kind of a buzz around him, and so uh, just like I wasn't comparing Jesus to Kanye a while ago, in some ways you could compare uh, what he did to a, to a pop star now, though. I mean, if someone goes to the mall on their day off, they're getting followed, people want to talk to him, people want to be around him, people want to spend time with him, and so Jesus is just walking around, right? And someone literally says, I will follow you no matter where you go! They just yell that out, right? If you want to get a restraining order, try that at a concert sometime, okay? Don't just say, I love you. Say, I will follow you no matter where you go, and see where it gets you, all right? Maybe it'll get you a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I don't know, but it creeps me out. So uh, someone, someone just yells this to Jesus. I will follow you no matter where you go. That's what they're, that's what they're yelling, but I, I think they had good intentions. So verse, verse 58, Jesus says this. It says, but Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but I the Son of Man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my head. And so he, he's basically uh, pointing out to this guy, hey, crazy guy that yelled, I don't, I don't think you really thought about what you were saying, right? And so he kind of brings him back to reality, and he's like, I know you want to follow me. I know you want to be part of this thing that I've got going. There's a lot of excitement, and, and everybody's liking this. And, but, but here's the reality of what you're saying, right? Right, we, we always yell out, people yell out at concerts, I love you, like I love you Justin Bieber, and they don't, they don't actually know Justin Bieber, right, they don't know that he has morning breath, or that he, he might be really mean backstage, right, they just know that they, they love this public persona, and so Jesus in the same way is saying, hey, alright, you, you want to follow me, you, you like me, I'm, I'm cool, alright, I, I get that, here's what this means, and so he goes into this, this passage, and he, he basically says, you, you need to, to count the cost, you need to think about what you're saying, he, he clarifies this, following me, isn't, isn't glamorous, right? Following Jesus is not something that, that this guy is actually going to like. And so he, he points out to him, he says, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but I, the son of man, have no, no home of my own. Now, how many of you would think today, like, man, I wish, wish I could just have, like, a fox den. I wish, I hate my comfy apartment. I, I need, I need a, a, like, a hole in the dirt, kind of in the side of a hill. That's, that's really where I want to spend my time, Right? 
That's, no, that's not an attractive place to stay. And even though homes were, were more primitive back then, he's, he's going out of his way to say, listen, people have houses, right? right? Even, even foxes have houses. Foxes have dens. I don't, I don't have that. So he's saying following him is, is less attractive than a, than a hole in the side of a, a dirt hill, right? That's not, not too attractive. He's, he points that out. But then he goes on to say, and even, even birds have, have nests. How many of you think, I wish I could build a home out of like grass and twigs and some mud and maybe live up in a tree where it's real windy, right? No, one, no one's ever thought that. Maybe you've wanted to have a tree house, but you want to have air conditioning and, and, and heating and all these things. And so Jesus is going out of his way to point out, like, listen, everything that we know has a home. These animals have a home. They have places. They, they rest. They lay their head. They go. I, I don't have any of those things. I don't even have the comfort of, of my own place, right? He's, he's going out of his way to say this because he's saying that following me is, is not able to be, be contained in, in one spot. You're never going to feel at home because my message, my life, my gospel is, is of another world. And so if you're representing me in this world, you're not going to have a place that, that is truly your home. You're not going to have a place that, that feels comfortable. You're not going to have a place that really feels like home. He's saying, ultimately, if you're following me, you're, you're looking at a life of, of persecution. And ultimately, if, if you're following me, you're looking at a, a life that, that could lead to poverty. And we look at the disciples who, who were those closest to Jesus, those who followed him, and, and ultimately, they spent time in, in prison. And so he's saying, you want to follow me? All right. You don't have a home. You don't have a place of comfort. You don't have all the things that, that you're thinking this means. You don't have the crowds. And I don't just multiply fish and loaves every day and feed everybody. It's not as glamorous as you think random guy who's following me and yelling these things out, you're, you're looking at persecution. You're looking at poverty. You're looking, looking at, at prison. And you, to be honest, you, you might be looking at death. So Jesus kind of clarifies some of these things for, for this guy. Verse 59 says this. It says, he said to another person, come be my disciple. Right? So, so in one minute, he's shooting this guy down, but instantly he invites this other guy to, to be his disciple. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus replied, let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the coming of the kingdom of God. And that might seem like a, like a harsh overstatement, right? Like, come on, Jesus, the guy just wants to go bury his dad. Why would you even bring that up? What are you, what are you saying? He's pointing out that, that often in life, we get distracted by, by things, by stuff. We, we let it get in front of our, our call to follow Jesus. We let it get in front of our call to represent him. We let it get in front of our call to, to speak the gospel, to communicate the gospel. And sometimes those things are, are good. Sometimes they're noble. Sometimes they're done out of good intentions. Sometimes we have a, a great heart. I mean... Let me return home and bury my father. This guy's, this guy's dad died, right? I mean, that doesn't, doesn't sound like the worst son ever, right? He just wants to give his father a, a proper burial. And yet, even if it's a good thing, he's, he's set that thing in front of him and Jesus. He set that thing between he and Jesus. And, and so now that thing is, is getting his attention, it might be a small thing, it might be a noble thing, it might be a thing done out of love, but when he tries to look at Jesus, all that, all that he's seeing is that thing, and so he's not able to respond to what God wants from him, he's not able to give God all of his life, he's able to give God the, the other parts of his life. He's able to give God the, the rest, he's able to see, see around that and, and kind of still go about life, but, but this, this idol and this thing is distracting him and has his attention, and it's, it's in front of him. 
And, and let's be honest, we, we all do that, right? We have, we have ways and, and things that, that we allow in our lives and things that we just, we're like, well, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's there. It's part of my life. But, but I, can still, I can still see Jesus. I can still follow him. I can, I can still give him my, my life. I'm still, a, I'm still a disciple. And some of those things are good, right? Some of those things are, are family. Might not be a, a dead family member, but it might be a family member that we just live to impress. And we go far beyond meeting their needs. We want their approval. We want them to love us. And we care about them. We make them into an idol. It might not, might not be something that good. It might just be a, a job. might be status. might be a lot of things. But there are things that we put between us and Jesus. And, and we let them become idols. We let them distract us and, and take our view. And, and as, uh, the longer that, that we follow Jesus, the longer that we're, we're, we're in a relationship with him, the longer we know him, we, we get lazy. And we, we rest as a disciple. And so there was a time... There was a time that, that we were so in love. You guys know young love, right? That moment where, where when you're not with the person, you're just practicing writing what will be your new last name, right? And you're, you're drawing hearts to dot all your eyes, and you're thinking about that person, and, the, and nothing will distract you. And then, then after a while, it's like, well, I got guys night, right? I got to go out. I can't, I don't, have, I don't have time to watch these chick flicks, right? And, and just, we, we begin to let little things get in, get in the way of love, and little things distract us. And we get comfortable in relationships, and and we don't protect them the way that we used to. We don't, we don't guard them the way that we used to. This guy is a guy, I'm sure he has a, has a good heart, wants to follow Jesus. And I'm sure that, that at one point he was undistracted. I'm sure at one point there was, there was nothing between him and Jesus. And he was able to see him. He was able to listen to what he said. He was able to follow him. He was able to run after him. He was able to say, God, I see you. I hear what you're asking me to do, and I'm going to do that. And then he relaxed over time. Well, I'm going to give you most of my time, Jesus, but, but I, need, I need to guard this because this is the time that I provide for my family. And yeah, you've, you've got my heart, but I need, I need part of my schedule. I mean, my, my dad's really sick, and, and now, he, now he's died. And eventually, it's not about the things that are distracting him. It's about the fact that, that Jesus doesn't have all of his heart. Jesus doesn't have all of his attention. And when, when called upon, when asked to do something, he's saying, all right, you have, you have most of me. Well, you have, you have some of me. You can, have, you can have this much of me, but you don't have all. Verse 61 says this. Another, we've got a third person, right? Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This is another person. Another person who who in some way is distracted. And when Jesus says, I need you, I'm calling you, I want you to respond, I want your life, I want your attention, I need you to follow me. He's saying, all right, I'll follow. Just, Just give me an hour, right? I mean, it's not a bad thing to go hug your mom goodbye. But anything that we put before Jesus is a bad thing. Anything that we put before Jesus is an idol. Anything that we put before Jesus is a distraction. Even family, even loved ones, even a job that that we can provide with, and, and we give part of the money to the church. Anything that we put before Jesus and make into an idol and make into a distraction something that shouldn't be in our life. When we love Jesus, we'll place him above 
everything. When we love Jesus, we will place him above absolutely everything. There are a lot of things as Christians and as modern Christians that we love to sneak into our, our life and, and justify. I mean, one of, one of them is working out, right? Because we're like, well, I've got to be a, a good steward, a good manager of my body. God wants me to be healthy. I don't want to die early. I want to be on this earth for a long time. And so I've got to spread the gospel. So that means that I need to be in CrossFit five hours a day, right? We know, we know people that do that. And I'm not saying CrossFit's bad. You're probably thinking, Mark, don't make fun of CrossFit. You could stand to do some of that, all right? The, the point is this, all right? The point is this. We can make good things into idols, hey, there's some overtime coming up at my job. I should probably take that. I know that, that I, could, I, could, I could give more money to the church. And yet that, that overtime, that, that time, it consumes us and it takes our attention, it takes our joy and, and it becomes an idol and becomes a distraction. And there's a lot of, a lot of parents in the room. We, we often think about our kids, Right? That's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You're supposed to be the best mom or the best dad ever. You're supposed to love them, give them your everything. Nope, you're not supposed to give them your everything. You're supposed to give Jesus your everything. You're supposed to love your kids, teach them to love Jesus also. And so sometimes, even as loving, well-intentioned Christian parents, we make our kids into idols. A lot of college people in the room... I was joking with all of you this morning that you have finals this week. If you forgot that for a few brief minutes, let me make you depressed again. You have finals this week, right? I feel so sorry for you guys, right? But you're supposed to pass classes, right? I mean, you're paying for it. Your parents are paying for it. You don't have to retake them. And so studying for, for finals is, is, is all that your life should be about this week, right? Or for a three-week period. And so you've made nothing but flashcards, and it's all you think about. And yet at some level... If you're gonna if you're gonna just like shut your life down every time you have finals or midterms, that's like a, a five year block. Basically, you're you're gonna be distracted and, and have an idol and and not be thinking about anything. Following Jesus means that we put him above everything, above our kids, above our family, above our parents, above their opinions, above money, above our career, above school, above fitness, above media. I don't mean to, to mock all those things. Those are just examples. But I think most of us can probably look at our life and say, all right, this is the thing that I struggle in making into an idol. This is the thing that I struggle in putting between me and Jesus. This is the thing that I'm distracted by. And when he says, follow me, when he says, hey, I need you to start spending time with that neighbor because they're going through a lot. They're having a rough time. I want you to, to speak into their life. I want you to share the gospel with them. I want you to love them. I can't. I'm working overtime. I can't. I got finals. I can't. I'm trying to be a good dad. And those idols that are in our lives distract us and keep us from doing what Jesus is asking us to do. I love that there's, there's three examples in this passage. Because chances are, we see ourselves in different ways in those three examples. Maybe sometimes we're the, we're the overjoyed person, like, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus! Like right out of the gate, really excited. And then we lose that enthusiasm. Some of us are, are slow and, and, and kind of methodical. We think about things more, but when Jesus says, follow me, you're like, oh, okay, he's, he's talking to me. Okay, I'll follow you, but I got to go, I got to go do this. I, oh, yeah, I got to bury my, my dad real quick. I'll, I'll be there. I'm, I'm coming, I promise. Or, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. I, I want to say goodbye to my family. I'm not as bad as the guy who had to go bury his dad. I just need to give my mom like a quick fist bump and a, 
a half hug, and then I will be there, right? He's doing a whole funeral. That takes like two days. I just need like an hour, right? And so we look at, we look at the people around us, and we say, well, I'm not as distracted as that person. They have a worse idol than me. I'm just putting this small thing in front of me in Jesus. Not, not a huge thing, but I'm, I'm sure that we see ourselves in, in these different illustrations, things that distract us, things that, that get in our life, and, and things that keep us from giving Jesus everything. There's a, there's a couple verses in Matthew 16. Let me just read these to you. Jesus is talking to the disciples in verse 24, and he says this. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? For I, the Son of Man, will come in the glory of my Father with his angels and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I assure you that some of you are standing here right now will not die before you see me, the Son of Man, coming in my kingdom. Maybe you've heard the concept of, of denying ourselves. Guys, we have, a, we have a built-in selfish sin nature that only wants to worry about ourselves. And even when we, we think we're, we're being concerned about others, we're probably being concerned about others because it concerns us. And so we seek comfort, and we seek fame, we seek power, we seek a lot of things, but, but, but all of those things are for us and for ourselves. Jesus is saying, if you understand that I came and, and lived and, and gave my life. I died on the cross to, to take away your sins. I gave my life so that you could have life. If we understand that, we'll respond by giving Jesus our everything, by giving him our life, by giving him our distractions and our, our schedule and our, and our overtime pay and our, our family. We'll give him our everything. Not because we, we don't love those things, not because we want our family to think, oh, that, that weirdo ran off and joined the church and now they don't talk to us. No, we want people to see love in us. We want people to see Jesus in us, but we want to give him our everything. We want to give him our all. And so he points it out in those verses. He's saying, you're going to have to deny yourself and run after me. You're going to have to not seek fame and, and power and comfort and, and money. I was talking to, uh, talking to my friend Cameron this week. He's, he's right there. We were talking about, uh, talking about this book. It's called The, the Christian Atheist. And uh, it's, if, if, if you haven't heard of that book, it's a, it's a pretty cool book. I know he's, he's reading it for school. But uh, it's, a, it's a book that basically just says, you know, we, we all know the definition of an atheist, right? It's someone that doesn't even believe in the existence of God, right? And so they deny the existence of God in, in, in their, their thought life, in their, in their actions, in, in every, every aspect of their life. They just, they do not believe in, in any form of God. And this, this book is basically saying that for most Christians, there, there are areas of our lives that, that we're kind of, we're not, we're not atheists, right? Because we think, oh, those are bad people. We're, we're like a Christian form of an atheist, right? We're like, okay, God, I, I, believe, I believe that you exist uh, when, when, I'm, when I'm at home and when I'm supposed to be a good husband and when I'm supposed to be a good dad. And I believe that you exist when I'm supposed to go to my movement group and give time to the church. And I went to that egg drop and my forehead got really sunburned. It was awful. But you were God. And I, so I gave you that day. But when I'm at work, I'm going to kind of act like an atheist because I'm asked to do some things that are, that are, that are kind of not ethical. But, but it provides for my family. It's how I give money to the church. And so, 
People have slivers of their lives where they're, they're just denying the existence of God. God, you have my schedule, you have everything, but when I'm, when I'm with my, my dudes, right, when we're at guys' night out, I'm going to have a little more to drink than, 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 I, than I probably think I should, but, but I'm just trying to fit in, just trying to have a good time, just trying to detach from my weekend, and so we have a sliver of our life where we're a Christian atheist. Just, just one aspect of our life where we're a Christian atheist. If we're going to give God all of ourselves, if we're going to give Jesus everything, we have to eliminate distractions. We have to eliminate things that take our attention. We have to eliminate things that take our eyes off God. And we have to admit and embrace the existence of God in every aspect, every hour, every part of our lives for the course of the whole week. And we have to run after him and spend time getting to know him and listening to him and keeping our eyes on him and following him and doing what he says. There's a story in, uh, in, in 1 Kings. Elijah is, uh, is traveling around and, and uh, just doing, doing some incredible things for God. And he's, he's sent to recruit this, this, uh, this guy, Elisha, who's basically going to be his, his assistant. Very, very confusing, right? Elijah and Elisha. It's, it's just, they, they should one of them should have gone by Bob or something. But um, Elijah is going to, to recruit Elisha. And so he goes to get him and he basically says like, hey, this is your time. This is now. God wants you to come with me. We're going to do his work. We're going to lead this nation. We're going to do some awesome stuff. And, and Elisha, Elisha goes with him. But before he goes, he goes, he's, he's, he's a farmer and he's been, been plowing and doing some things. He literally goes and destroys his, his livelihood, right? He, he goes and, and he, he destroys the thing that, that is provided for him. He, he burns the, the plows that he was in the field using as he, he was approached and said, follow God. Because he knows if he, if he has a B plan, if he has a backup, things are going to get rough and he'll be like, you know, this following God thing, not the best idea. I'm going to go back and, and do the farm thing again and provide for my family and have a good name and I'm, I'm going to plow. And, and he, he didn't want that. He wanted to completely run after God and so he got rid of his B plan. He eliminated that thing, took it out of his life. And he said, all right, Elijah, let's go. I know that you were sent here on behalf of God. You're, you're asking me to follow you, to follow him. Let's go. Let's do this. So sometimes as we, as we follow God, we'll talk about this more next week, but sometimes we have to eliminate something from our lives. If there's, if there's a, a, a piece of our life where we're just finding ourselves being a, a Christian atheist, if there's a part of our life where we're thinking, oh, I can always go back to that, or I can, always, I can always rest in that, I can always find comfort in that, rather than running after God, rather than giving him our everything, rather than pursuing him, it might be that, that we have to remove that thing. We have to eliminate that thing. We have to take our eyes off of that thing and admit where our attention has been. And so it might be, it might be a dependency. It might be a person. It might be a relationship. It might be a way of thinking. It might be a philosophy. It might be a mindset. It might be a certain job. It might be an aspect of that, that job. It might be resentment. It might be bitterness. It might be excuses. It might be speech. It might be habits. It might be a grudge we carry. It might be the way that we treat our family. It might be selfishness. It might just be comfort and fame and some of the things we talked about. But we all struggle with something that we've put between us and Jesus, something that has our attention. And when he's speaking to us, when he's asking us to follow him, that thing is in the way and that thing has our attention. What is that thing and what can we do to, to remove it today? If you've never... If you've never removed the things that have your attention and said, Jesus, you have all of my attention. You have my life. I understand that you came and died on the cross and, and, 
and rose from the dead three days later so that I could have life. If you've never been able to say all of, all of the things, all the sins, all the distractions in my life, they're, they're, they're gone. I, I want you to take them away. You have my attention. You can make that decision today. You can, you can talk to God. You can pray where you're at for the first time and just say, God, Jesus has taken those things away and I, I want a relationship with you. I want you in my life. I want you in my heart. Maybe you, you're a Christ follower and, and yet, let's be honest, we all have little things, things that get our attention, things that distract us. As, as we spend some time singing and, and worshiping today, spend some time with God. Talk to God. Tell him what that, what that thing is, what those things are that have your attention, what those things are that distract you, what makes you a Christian atheist, how you've been denying his existence. Spend some time talking to him, praying to him. Ask him to help you overcome that. Ask him to take that thing away. Ask him to help you run after you. You might be offended. It might be a shocking statement that he said, yep, I'm more important than your family. Yep, more important than your friends. Yep, you don't really mean that follow me stuff. Maybe you're thinking, what? But the shock will, will wear off. And the first, the first stage of confrontation is anger. Sometimes when, when we're confronted with something, we think, that's not me. That's not me. Then we come around, okay, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I do, I do put sports in front of God. Yeah, I do put my kids in front of God. Yeah, I do put my job in front of God. And as you come around to that, if you're being honest, you'll, you'll be comfortable with it. And so spend some time talking to God, saying, God, I, I give you all of me. I give you my schedule. Help me to run after you. Help me to follow you. Let's pray together and spend some time worshiping and, and, and thinking through how God's challenging us.